We are going to finish up our series today. Uh, we we in the ending a series called Man Up, where we've been talking about uh, de- defining what manhood is and talking about what our responsibilities are. And and uh, we've learned in the series in week one of the series we said that God created men and women equally. We are this. We are equal. There's no question. There's equal. But yet He created us very distinctly. And if if you don't believe me, we talked about that. I think all you need to do is look at, at small children and you can see that, that although they're equal, they are very distinct in how they operate and what they do. Boys tend to build things and knock them down. Girls tend, tend to take two objects and make them friends. That's just kind of how things roll. And then we said it's clear in Scripture that men are called to be cultivators, builders. It's what God created them to be. But we also learn that because of sin, because of the, the fall of man, everything that man has been charged to cultivate will at times war against him. And that's why life doesn't work the way we plan so many times, because it's fighting against us. However, in that struggle, in that difficulty, it's in that place that God teaches the man the gospel. And so that was all in week one. It's online if you want to look at it. If you want to watch the the video, it's on our website, restorationlifechurch.tv. And then in week two, I preached about the man as as a husband. And uh, being a husband for a man is by far the most complex and the most difficult calling that God has placed on our lives because Jesus comes to the man, and this is what the Bible says. The Bible says you will, you, you're to love your wife the way I love the church in, in that I gave my life for her. And, and what's really, uh, when you begin to think about how he loved the church, we know he laid his life down. We know he did those things, but Jesus didn't die for the church in response to the church, in response to her pleading, but simply because he loved the church. So we we talk about our our role as husbands to be the initiators in our homes. And and so we, we love our wives, not in response for what they do for us, but because we are the initiators. And we talked about nourishing and we talked about cherishing her. That's all in week two. And today, we're going to finish up our series and we're going to be talking about men as fathers. Now, here's the thing. Men as fathers. It is not complex. Now, like it is the relationship between you and your spouse. It's not complex. Now, it's not easy. How many of you know just because something is not complex doesn't mean it's easy? It's like the game of golf is a simple game, but it is not easy. Uh, but but we're, gonna, we're going to look at that today. And uh, you can turn to Ephesians 6, and we'll pick it up in verse 1 in just a moment. But, uh, but before we read it, uh, why don't we just bow our heads and let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for your, your, your loving kindness. We thank you that you are such the, uh, the perfect role model for us as, as dads. And Lord, we don't become discouraged by the fact that we can't measure up, but we, we become encouraged because... We see how you've never given up on us, and that helps us to learn how to do the same. I pray, God, that as we look in your word, that you would make it come alive to us. Nobody here needs to hear, Pastor Dave, but every, per- every person in this room needs to hear from you, God. So we're believing that you will just make the, the uh, divine miracle of divine communication take place, that you would speak to us in the deep, innermost parts of our being. And we give you thanks for it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6, um, ch- verse 1. It's very interesting how this all plays out here in this, in this passage. So let's read it together. Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, I want to just point out a couple of things before we read any further. The, the Bible over and over and over again, shows us how God created the universe to sort of operate rhythmically. And we see, (coughs) excuse me, we see that with kids. The progression of what happens with children is that children start simply learning how to obey. And if you grow them and, and pour into them with God's help, it leads to honor. Now, here's the thing, you know, with with, uh, with a small child, with a baby, you know, with a six-month-old, I am not looking for any honor from that child. Even from a two-year-old, I'm not even really looking for honor from the child. <coughs> That's not what I'm looking for. Obedience 
is what I'm trying to get from that child in that moment in time. And then, and then obedience, uh, with God's grace and with His help, should lead into honor as they get older in life. And I want to point out something very interesting to you. Because he starts here in this passage by addressing the children. He says to them, obey your parents. Talks about both mother and father uh, together. Refers to both mom and dad. Obey your parents. And then he moves on and he says, honor your father and mother. Once again, he talks about both parents. So when he's talking to the children, he, he refers to the parents as a singular unit. But what I find very interesting is when he moves on and he begins to address the parents, we didn't read it, but if you're looking in your Bible, what's the first word of verse 4? Anybody see it? Fathers. So I'll continue to push, like I have this entire series, that men, this entire series, that men do not have the sole responsibility in their home, but they do have the leading one. Although my wife, Julie, has great responsibility in the rearing of our children and the ordering of our home, I have a God-given responsibility to take leadership in that. And that doesn't mean that she's under my thumb doing what I tell her to do. That is not leadership at all whatsoever. So, but because here's, here's what it means. It means I'm responsible for it is really what it means. Because if Jesus comes and we have a problem in our home and he comes and knocks on the door and Julie answers the door, he'll say, good morning, Julie. Is Dave here? I need to talk with him. And it's not because he, he doesn't know I'm there. He say, where is Dave? It's just like in the Garden of Eden. God, uh, uh, when he spoke after the sin uh, of, of man, uh, uh, Adam and Eve and, uh, and Satan, he curses Eve, he curses Satan. But the whole time before, when he comes into the garden after they sin, God called out Adam. He didn't say, Adam and Eve, where are you? He said, Adam, where are you? What have you done? He was holding him accountable for his family. And it, it's very interesting right, right out of the gate here. We, let's read verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, there, here's the thing. There are only two commands here for fathers. That's it. Just two commands. And of all the things you could command a father to do, it just seems strange that the very first thing he says right out of the gate is, hey, don't provoke your children to anger. Now, let me try to explain why this is so important. Every man in here, every father in here, every one of us, we have places of insecurity in our soul. And every woman is like, no, yeah, we, you know the fragility of the male ego, but we all have these broken, sinful places inside of us and we get tired and we could come get to that place where we, we have this short fuse. And, and if we feel disrespected, someone must die. That's just the way it is. I mean, you can steal our car, you can burn our house down, but don't you disrespect me. Respect is such a huge thing for men. So here's what happens. In a family, you have an authority that, that has those frailties, and then there is a sinful subordinate living underneath a sinful authority. Well, whenever you have an authority that is intrinsically broken, colliding with a sinful subordinate who's also broken, the illegitimate child that's born out of that collision is anger. So what he's saying here is, fathers, be careful when you get disrespected. When, when you have a smart mouth kid, Everybody, anybody ever, ever meet a smart mouth kid in your life? Some, I'm not asking you to point fingers now. No, but but uh, when, you, when, you, when you have issues like that in your house, he's saying be careful not to provoke them to anger. Be careful not to create a soul that's filled with anger because of your actions. In, in essence, it's almost like he's saying, don't poke them with a stick. You know, have you ever, anybody, anybody here ever had some animal, some creature, you know, when you were a kid growing up and, and you were just sort of messing with it and you just kept poking at it, poking at it, and it just got madder and madder and madder? That's the picture here. Saying, don't be that guy. And, and this is really huge because anger, more than any other emotion, removes your ability to feel, to feel or to think rationally or sanely in that moment. I mean, if you'll think back on your life to some of the dumbest things you've ever said. Anybody here ever say anything really dumb? Yeah, yeah. Some of you are like, this morning, I did this morning. But, but if you'll think back on your life, some of the dumbest things that's ever come, come out of your mouth, I would almost guarantee you that it came out in a moment when you were angry. 
Because when anger owns your soul, you you cannot understand grace in that moment. You cannot reason with yourself. You cannot see tomorrow. You cannot even begin to think to yourself, this will pass. It just deadens your soul. So dads, he says, don't live your life. Don't treat your children in such a way that it creates the simmering anger beneath the surface of your child's soul. And, and, and listen, I'm, I'm in no way trying to remove your authority or your call to discipline or your command to, to preach, teach, and work truth out in your home. I'm not, I'm not saying, by the way, I'm not saying don't make your kids angry. That's not what he says. Because even if you are super parent, you know, and you just like float around your house with a focus on the family cape on your back, you know, and you're just super parent, and, and, and even if you do that, There are going to be moments and there's going to be run-ins and there's going to be collisions with your children where where their heart is going to be angered towards you. Anybody ever said no to your child and you know it was for their good and they got angry? Yeah, they're going to get angry. It's not saying saying don't let anger happen. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying don't treat your kids in a way that creates a hurt, angry spirit within them. So, give you an example. For example... How about that moment when your kid tries to quote this verse to you? Somebody, somebody got really excited on that one. And, and, and you're like, they're like, you're not supposed to provoke me to anger. And you're like, you have not been provoked. And you're like, hey, now you're provoked, right? And, and, and you know, <laughs> yeah, now, that's, that's what I'm talking about. That's what you can't do. Because that's in the moment of your anger, out of your frustration, when you, listen, anger is provoked when you discipline in anger. You know, that's one of the hardest things. Uh, when, when, when my kids were growing up, they're getting a little bit older now. And so, but, but one of the things I had to learn early on was in the moment when I'm angry, when I'm frustrated, I need to take a few moments and calm myself down so that when, when discipline comes, it's not being done out of rage or anger or out of the emotion of the moment, but it's level-headed and I can sit and talk with them and say, this is why this is happening. I need you to understand. This is not because I dislike you. It's not because I'm trying to steal your joy. It's because I want you to, I want to build your joy for your entire life. This is not the kind of person that you can become. And so, so you have this conversation, then you're firm with your discipline, but, but when you discipline out of anger, then all of a sudden, all, that's, all you're doing is giving birth to more of that simmering anger underneath. It's hard to do. So, so the, the, the text says, fathers, as much as you can, avoid anger. Avoid it. You, you have to try to circumvent it. You have to try to cut it out, out, of, out of their lives because it will destroy them. Because here, here's what I know. I, I am absolutely convinced that there are some grown men in this place, some grown men watching this on the live stream that, that have had fathers who would provoke you and provoke you and provoke you and provoke you to anger. And even now, on darker days, that anger actually owns you and you find yourself raging over nothing or things that really don't matter. And you can't even put your finger on out of control anger is unbelievable, unbelievably devastating to the human soul. So it says that fathers have a responsibility to not provoke this in their children. So the question is, how then do we guard against provoking children to anger? What are some ways that we can battle this? What, what I want to do is, I'm not going to here to give you a, you know, a list of do's and don'ts, that sort of thing. But, but what I want to give you is just sort of an umbrella of principles and let you work it out at home with your family. You know, you can sit down with your wife and, and go, how do we do this? And you come to this conclusion, work it out together. But let, let me just tell you some things that I just don't think that you can really argue. How do you guard against provoking children anger? Number one, I think you have to be careful of volume. Be careful of volume. You can't scream at your kids. And listen, I know you're like, that's the only way they hear. But I don't, I don't think it is. I think the higher the volume, the less the chance of sanity in the moment. 
And again, this goes back to maybe taking some time to calm yourself down so you can be rational a moment. I mean, I mean, I mean but, but when you say they, they only hear me when I'm screaming, do you think that they listen more when you're screaming at them and, at the top of your lungs and they're screaming at you? I, I'm guessing that that's really not an intelligent, sane conversation in that moment. To which most parents say, who said my children were sane and intelligent? <laughs> I don't know about that, but, 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 uh, but, but try to diffuse it and take ownership of where you're to blame. This is the thing that's so hard for us men because we have this fragile ego. It's so hard for us sometimes to admit we were wrong, especially to our kids. But you need to take ownership of where you're to blame. I, I think more and more fathers should be going into their children's bedrooms at night, before they go to bed, after, after the big explosion, after the big fight, after all of that, and you walk in there and you say, listen, I handled that wrong. I handled that wrong. Now, what you did was not right. It, it is unexcusable. But my response, the way I handled that was wrong. And I need to ask you for forgiveness. Will you forgive me? And I know some of you are like, you cannot show fear, Hoskins. <laughs> they can sense fear. You're going you're gonna to get somebody killed. But listen, in that simple moment of weakness and vulnerability, that's the moment where love is so clearly seen. That's when they, they see that. And I think you can teach more in that moment than you could ever teach by screaming. Second thing, it's really related to this. Don't overreact. Don't overreact. So, so if your kid just pops off on you, and you know, and there, there, there tends to be in that moment this natural response, and there's something in us that wants to let the punishment go well beyond the Geneva Convention. You know what I'm talking about? It's like torture, isolation. You know, in that moment, you feel disrespected. You're like, oh, yeah? Well, here's your punishment. You can't breathe for three months. You know? Now, so suck it up. Stop breathing. That's it. You're done. Quit it. Here's the, here's the thing. When your children are young, you have to be at least a little prepared that 12-year-olds are going to act like 12-year-olds. And you don't get to respond like another 12-year-old. Does that make sense? You have to think it through. You have to be prepared. Don't let it surprise you. And, and, and then I'll tell you another thing. If, and if you're married, you'll, you'll be able to follow me here. If you're single, I don't know that you will. Uh, I can't really say because it's been so long since I've been single. I don't know that mindset anymore. But, but, but here's what I would say. Guard your words carefully. And this relates to everything we've said. Guard your words carefully so that you don't say something hurtful in anger. And the reason I said if you're married, you'll get this. Because, listen, there have been times when Julie and I uh, had a disagreement. Uh, we didn't fight. We just disagreed loudly. <laughs> you, know, you know, that's... The, just a, you know, but anyway, there have been times when we disagreed. Everybody, listen, if you're married, there's no shame in saying that you had an argument. That's just part of learning to live together. That's just the reality of it. And, and, and there have been those times when in the, in the middle of that discussion, that moment, that I felt wounded by her. And then, and especially when I was younger, in response, I jabbed her soul. You know what I'm talking about? Because everybody that's in here that's married knows the one thing to say to your spouse that will really hurt them. And it's, it's not like a grenade going off in their spirit. It's like an atomic bomb going off in their spirit. And the temptation, when, when we're hurt or angry, we know what, what to say to, to those that we love that will hurt them back. That's why those that are closest to us can hurt us the most. And, and the temptation in that moment where you feel disrespect, disrespected, man, is to just jab at that spot and say, I'll get her back. I'm going to get her back. And, and, you, and you know what I'm talking about. Or, or you're either a liar or not married. When we feel disrespected by our kids, we have to guard our words so that we don't jab at our child's soul in frustration. Parents sometimes say things that they later regret they wish they'd never said because instead of dealing with the issue, they insult the child. You know, if your child does something wrong, don't look at him and say, Are you stupid? What's wrong with you? Can't you get anything right? What are you doing in the soul of that child? 
You can address the situation. You can bring correction, but you don't have to insult the person, right? And so we have to be very careful that in our frustration and our anger that we don't lose control of our words. We need to watch because our little creativity and our wit and our sarcasm can never be thrown onto our children. I think we've got to be very, very careful about those little jabs. Be really careful not to jab at your children. And, and I think it's the father's role to take some preemptive measures against anger in the hearts of his children. And honestly, I think one of the best ways to do that is just by spending time with your kids. Spending time with them. And I, I, don't, think, I don't even think it, you have to be a creative genius. I just think you have to let your little boy or your little girl get their pajamas on one night and, and then just say, hey, instead of going to bed, let's go get in the car and then take him out to some donut joint and buy them a sugary donut and then just sit there and, and, and talk with them about life. Just that moment where you do something special with them, just to spend time with them. Something as simple as, as sitting there and, uh, 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 that, that says, I care for you, I, I love you, I value you. Let, let's begin, and you begin to build security in them. It, it's not complex. It, this is really, really very easy. It's just a matter of whether you will take time to do it. And by the way, don't buy into the group thing. Don't say, well, I'll just take all the kids out at once. Because uh, uh, I think you, you need to find individual time for your children. That's one of the preemptive uh, measures against anger. But look at what he says next. What he says next is, is what we would figure, he would say, to begin with. He said, fathers, do not provoke your children anger. He said, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring your children up. Bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Once again... We'll talk about what this looks like in terms of umbrella statements. But, but I, wanted, I do want to attack something in our culture. Because it seems, generally speaking, that our culture believes that it is the woman's role, excuse me, the woman's role to raise the children, and it's the man's role to be like the recreational coordinator or something. You know, so the woman has to discipline and she has to shape, but the man's job is to buy shin guards and coach the team. And I want to stress to you that the scriptures say that is absolutely not true. The scriptures put the weight of discipline on the father, not on the mother. The mother has a role. The mother is important in it. You have to be unified in that discipline. But fathers, you have a responsibility before God to make sure that this is happening. And it's not just, that's just what the scripture teach. So, so men need to take an active role in the discipline in their homes. Uh, now, the Bible does not leave us hanging here how to do this. It's really going to get into some detail and about how we discipline, and, and not, not even that, but how we train up our children in the instruction of the Lord. And, and yeah, you know, if when we're not doing it, some of those things may sting. But let's look at it. Look over to Psalm 78. We're going to pick it up in verse 1, Psalm 78. It says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from, the, from, the, uh, excuse me, from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. So how do we bring our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Well, first of all, he says to make known the wonders of God. Make known the wonders of God. It falls on the Father to make known the, <clears throat> the greatness and the goodness and the beauty of God in His home, particularly with His children. So, so here's the best way that I think I can unpack it for you. It is our job as dads to continue, and, and really the moms too, but, but I'm speaking to the men today. It's our job to continually take everything that is good Everything that is right, everything that is enjoyable, everything that is lovely, and remind our children of its origin, God, the Creator God. So, for example, when, uh, if your daughter is like mine was, when my, when my daughter, particularly my oldest daughter, when she was little, she loved the color pink. In fact, we moved into a house in Georgetown. There was one room that was pink, and I mean Pepto-Bismol pink, and she wanted that room just because it was pink. She loved pink. 
But I think if you, if you have a daughter that loves the color pink, I think you need to have a conversation. You have not just a conversation, you need to have multiple conversations about where pink came from. Who made pink? Well, well God made pink. Well, yes, but why would God make pink? I don't know. And you have long talks about how amazing it is that, 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 that God, out of nowhere, just thought up the color pink in order to communicate himself to your daughter. So that, that the joy that she's feeling, the beauty that she's seeing, that, that that's God teaching her. How much does God love you? How beautiful is God that he made pink just to show you how much he loves you. Or if your little boy loves to play outside. You, you talk about how, how great and wonderful God is that he made all of that for us to enjoy and to show us who he is. What we, what we try to do in our house, and, and listen, there, I'm not here to say I'm super dad or anything, because there have been seasons I did well with this and seasons I didn't. That's just the reality. But what we've tried to do in our house, that anything that is good, anything that is right, anything that is spectacular, God's going to get credit for that. Our hope was that 20 or 30 years later, if you, that if you would ask Aaron and, and Gail to tell you about their home growing up, that we would want our kids to say, well, you know, I, I, I have a lot of memories, but I know this, God was central. God was always talking, uh, uh, Dad was always talking about God. God is who they loved. Dad gave credit for, to, to God for everything. I mean, I couldn't even eat a piece of chocolate in peace without God talking about how amazing God is that he brought, that he thought up such an amazing flavor. I couldn't, I couldn't play in the pool without my dad going, how amazing is God that he gave us water to play in. But you know what we have done too often? We tend to make God into the cosmic policeman. And, and, and think about what this does to anybody. When, when all they hear is not about the greatness and the beauty and the wonders of God, but all they hear is God hates liars. Uh-oh. Guess, guess who he hates then? Everyone. So when the message to your kids is God doesn't like this and God doesn't like that and God doesn't appreciate that and don't do that because God is going to get you for it. If that is the umbrella. Now, I understand that, that you do teach about some of the things that God says don't do this. But with that, if that's your umbrella message, if that's the main thing you're teaching to your kids, then, then, then my question is, are you teaching them to run towards him when they sin or to absolutely be terrified of him? Because if, if that's the only message, when we sin, then our tendency is to run from the God that's going to get me instead of running to the Father who's going to forgive me. And early on in the evangelical community, children are, as a result, they're taught to hide their struggles, to hide their fears, to hide their shame, because we've told them how furious God gets at all that stuff. Instead of, instead of hearing how much must God love you, that he gave you a water slide, that he gave you bubble, game, game, bubble gum, that he gave us the color pink, that he gave you a mommy and a daddy, that he gave us dinner, that God created ribs. And if you combine those ribs with certain special spices and put them over smoke, you get this wonderful thing. God is so good. I mean, He's amazing, praise Jesus, right? That's how it ought to be. And that's a big reason why the world outside of Christianity keeps thinking that Christianity is a religion. Religion says, I will do this in order to be accepted by God. Every religion says that. But that's not Christianity, nor is that our message. Nowhere in, our, in the Bible, nowhere in our sacred literature Will you find that message? Our message is that we cannot do anything to be accepted by God. Because, but Christ paid the bill. That's the message. But you don't even hear that when the message is always, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. What we're to communicate is the wonders of God, the mind of God, the, the beauty of God, the creativity of God, the the size of God, just the wonder of who He is. So that's job, job one, to make known the wonders of God. But it, it, it's going to keep going. Look at verse 5, Psalm 78, verse 5. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation 
might know them. Now, this is a reference to the Torah, the uh, 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 reference to the first five books of the Old Testament. This is a reference uh, to the call of God for dads to teach the scriptures in the house. And I want to be really careful here because when we hear this, sometimes we get this this uh, picture of how it's supposed to look. And I'd, I don't think this means here that you have to sit down with your child and say, mm, well, this word in the original Hebrew is ahava. And the root meaning of that, I, I, don't, I don't think that kind of, that's the kind of teaching that, that needs to occur. I think that the scripture must be known and embraced as God's self-disclosure of who he is. And then... You can do things on top of that to implement your call to teach your children. In fact, that's what we want to be here at Restoration Life Church. That's what our call is for our, our kids' ministry and our youth ministry. We're, we're not here to, to be the main disciplers of your children. We're here to supplement what, you're, you, what God is using you to do in your home. That's what we're here for. But, but let me speak to two things. Number one, and I think you'll understand this. You may not get it with the statement, but you'll figure it out when we talk about it. Kids, at a very, very early age, develop a hypocrisy meter. You know what I'm talking about? And I'm not even talking uh, religiously here. Please don't hear hypocrisy necessarily as a religious reference. But at a very, very early age, my daughter was like, hey, uh, why do you get two popsicles? Right? I don't get two popsicles. I thought too many popsicles will make you sick because I had a red one and you had a purple one and now you have a green one and purple's not green and I thought that would make you sick. I mean, what do you, what do you even say to that? If you're like me, you're like, all right, have another popsicle. You know, that's, that's about all you can do in that moment. So, or another, you know, when we put her to bed when they were little and we put her to bed at 8.30 and say, you need your rest. You need your sleep. We, we don't want you to be cranky tomorrow. And, and, and then they, they look at you. It's like, well, when are you going to go to bed? Well, you don't worry about me. I'm the daddy. But you said, I, I know what I said. I know, I know what I said. We're different. Old people don't need as much sleep. And then you're like, is that even true? You're thinking to yourself, did, did, did I just like lie to my kid unbeknownst to me? Do, do we need less sleep? Google, you know, you start looking it up. And so, so anyway, but here's the thing. They pick it up very early on, that moment of unfairness, injustice, that moment of hypocrisy. And some couples, you know, after they have children, they think to themselves, you know what, I want my kids to be good kids. I want them to be respectful kids. And I don't, I don't want my daughter getting pregnant early and I don't want my, my boy getting on drugs. So, so they have kids and they start going to church because they want their kids in church but they never allow Christ to transform their lives. This is a really weird animal. Let me be honest with you. I think, I think by doing that, you just might have an unbelievably damning effect on your family. Because listen, do you seriously think that your kid doesn't see the disjoint between what they're learning here and what you're living I mean, if my daughter can see the, the inconsist inconsistencies in popsicles, don't you think they'll see the hypocrisy in your life? Because what you're doing in that moment, you're teaching them that when you get old enough, they don't need God. You're teaching them with your life that everything that they're hearing at church is really a lie because they're saying that this is how you should be, but you're not living that with your life. Uh, with your life. And by the way, your, your kids... Uh, I had a pastor I worked with. He used to say that children learn three ways. Here's the three ways children learn. Example, that's number one. Number two, example. And guess what number three is? No, it's not. Yeah, it is example. I'm just kidding. It is. That's how kids learn. You can say all the right things, but they're watching how you live. And, and, and when they have to live a certain way because you force them to because you're bigger and stronger, and then you live a different way, when the, well, all they're learning is when I get big enough, I can do what I want. I don't have to do what I'm being taught now. That's all they're learning. So the thing is, fulfilling this call is uh, uh, that God has placed in our lives is an impossible task if you're not willing to submit to God yourself. You can put the Ten Commandments up on the wall at your home. You can know all the moral things to say. Don't do this. Don't do that. But if you're not in glad submission to God yourself, then nothing happens in the hearts of your children. 
outside of the grace of God. Now we know he can intervene. And I want to be careful to add here, we're not going to be perfect. We're going to blow it. There are going to be days when you're going to be a hypocrite. Can I, can I get an amen? Anybody here have been that? We're going to have seasons that are difficult for us. We are. Those things are going to happen. But the grace of God covers those things. And then we will continue to press in and our kids will see that. That's one of the reasons why it's so important to go to your kids and ask for forgiveness. When you, do, when you blow it, when you do the wrong thing, not only go to God and say, Lord, forgive me, but go to your children and say, listen, I think you saw something I need to address. I need you to know, Daddy was wrong. I did the wrong thing. And I've asked God to forgive me. And, and he's forgiven me. Now I want you to forgive me for setting such a bad example. Well, that's, that's a hard thing to do. So that's number one. I think you have to be in glad submission yourself or there's no way you can, you can do this. But here's the second thing. And this is the one I really love. I think, Dad, you have to relish the role. And I don't mean by put relish on a role. <laughs> you know, uh, you have to relish the role, the God-given role that you have. And, and, and here's what I mean by that. I, I have two daughters. You know, one now is 20. The other one is 16. And, and things are, are a lot different now that they're older because they both have jobs and they're often at work when I come home. But, but when they were little... Uh, here's how it went. And it is still some truth in this in one ways, but it can plays out completely differently now that they're older. But, but here's how it would play out when they were younger. After, after a long, hard day at work, I had, I had to prepare myself for walking into our house. And, 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 and if, if I wasn't careful, I'd be going to saying to myself, man, I worked all day long. This was a long, hard day. All I want to do, I just want to sit in my recliner and watch TV and drink a cold Diet Coke. That's all I want to do. I just want to unwind and I want to enjoy that moment of just unwinding, just doing nothing. And then I'm going to walk in that door and my two little girls, when they were little, I walk in and they're going to run up to me and they're going to want to play. And then Julie's going to begin to tell me about her day. And, and, it's, and I'm not going to get the moment that I wanted, that I had envisioned in my mind to sit there. And in that moment, because I'm not getting what I want, I have, I've had frustration birthed in my mind. Anybody else experience this? All frustration is birthed out of unmet expectation. So I had to come home thinking to myself on the way home, job's not done today. The job is not done today. I've got three and a half more hours. It's not over. Three and a half more hours to love, to shape, to pour into, to speak, to give out of myself. Three and a half more hours. And if our mind is, hasn't shifted into that mode, then, then our three and a half hours at home, after we get home from work with our children or the wife, more often than not, they're going to be combative or at least unproductive. And so before I'd go home, I had to change my expectations. So I began to think to myself, when I get home, the kids are going to be hopped up on sugar. Julie's going to be duct taped in a closet somewhere and the house is going to be on fire. Right? And, and so that's what's going on. And then, so then when I get home and I look around and like, awesome, nothing's on fire. Great, that's great. And so then I go free Julie and we play with the kids the rest of the night. But, but we have to relish our role. The, that our role as dad, when I come home, is more important than anything I've done all day. And relish that role. Because think about this, dads. Who gets to be a hero? Daddies do. I mean, for years, my girls thought I could fix anything. I, I still think they, can, they think I can fix more than I can, but all I can say is thank God for YouTube. <laughs> can I get an Amen. Daddies do. I mean, daddies get to be heroes. What, what a great gift that is. You know, I mean, in little ways. My, my, my youngest daughter, let's just say she and spiders have never gotten along. She's finally realized that she's much bigger than them. But when she was little, every time she saw a spider, I had to come to the rescue. But you know what? Instead of getting frustrated at that, I could relish the role and say, I get to be the hero again. 
That's what daddies get to do. Who gets to be unconditionally loved by beautiful little baby girls? Daddies do. Oh, there's such a special daddy-daughter bond. Daddies get that. Who gets to be looked up to by young boys who, who look at their daddy and then they say, that's what I want to be when I grow up. Who gets that? Daddies do. This is an awesome gift that we have been given. We should not just embrace that role. We should relish it. We should look at that and say, look at what I get to do. Look what God has given to me in my life. This is an incredible opportunity. Relish that and don't let a single day escape because I'm here to tell you that now my daughter's getting a little older. Time goes by so fast it'll be gone before you know it. Can I get an amen from anybody a little even older than me? Don't let one day escape. I think we forget. I only get to do this once. I only get to be daddy to these two little girls one time. And there have been too many times in my life that I've missed the opportunity that I didn't relish it that day. I need, I for, uh, we can't forget we get to do this once. You only get today once. Once. So teach these things. But don't just teach them with your mouth. You have to teach them with your life. You have to teach them with your life. And listen, we're going to close with this. There's a difference between teaching your children and your children knowing. We have to understand there's a difference between teaching them and them knowing. You can teach all that you want, but the knowing is not under your control. And that can be a very frustrating thing. I mean, that's, that's the frustration as a pastor. I can get up here, I can teach what I believe is true to the Word of God, but I can't make you know or embrace anything. That's, I mean, if there's one thing that I wish God would let, give me the power to do, it would be to make you understand and respond. But I, I don't have that. Neither do parents. You, you, that, that can be a very frustrating thing. And because, listen... What I'm after as a dad, I'm not after just simple regurgitation of a belief system. Because if my daughters can systematically lay out a belief system in God, but they don't have hearts that worship Him, then I have not won. I have not won. But, but here's the, the thing. I, I cannot, even in the midst of that, I cannot make my daughters fall in love with Jesus like their mom and I have. I, I can't do that for them. I can teach them about him. I can let the joy of Christ flood my home. I can romance and love my wife on good days and bad days. I can, I can teach my children the goodness and the grandeur of a creator God and the glory of the gospel. But God has to awaken that in their hearts. I can't do that. But if we would do our part, and then the Holy Spirit would awaken that in their hearts, here's what he says will happen. Verse 6. That the next generation, that's your children's children. That's your children's children. That the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. Father, here's a powerful and yet somewhat horrifying, frightening idea. The way you're fathering now affects not only your children, but your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. It's, it, it's okay. It's okay if that's a little frightening. Be, because I, I think these thoughts and the, and the thought of, hey, th this goes on for a generation. When, when, if that brings a little bit of fear into your heart, there, there is a good kind of fear. You know that, right? Like when my daughters were little, teaching them to be afraid of running in the road, that's a good kind of fear. I don't want them cowering, you know, in their bedroom saying, there's a road out there. What am I going to do? I don't want that. That's not, that's not a healthy fear, but I want them to be afraid to go out in the street. There's a good kind of fear. So let's see what happens. Verse 7. So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Basically what he's doing here, he's referencing the people of Israel who wandered around in the desert for 40 years until they all died off. 
So here's what he says. He says, if, if we'll be this for our children, and then the Holy Spirit fills it and brings it to life inside of them, then they will put their hope in God, and they will walk in obedience to the commands of Christ, which always, always increases joy. Then they won't spend their life in the desert in an emotional and spiritual wasteland. That is a pretty good promise. Now, let me just throw a couple of things at you to, as we close this out. Let, let me speak first to any single moms. If you're a single mom, I'm glad you're here. And I want you to know we love you. And you hear this and you say, I just don't have this in my home. I don't have a, a man who can, who can fill this role. But I want to say to you, I want to tell you something that is true in Scripture and true in life. Here it is. Where the ideal is lacking, grace abounds. We know the ideal is a mom and a dad in a home. We know that. Statistics prove that out. But where the ideal is lacking for whatever reason, when you trust God, grace abounds. Grace abounds. So, so pray. Seek the Lord. He, he can powerfully make up for an absentee father. The, the grace of God works powerfully where, where the ideal is lacking. And second, I want to say to all the parents here today, be very, very, very careful that you don't say with your mouth that the gospel is primary and then with your time, energy, and efforts as a family, teach that something else is. And I'm speaking directly to our unbelievable addiction to things like youth athletics and recreation. And here's what I see over and over again. You have parents that want to do nothing towards their kids' spiritual development. They, they'll complain and say price for kids' church camp is way too high, but then they'll pay any price to send their kids to an elite sports camp or to, to get them on an elite sports team. And to me, that's a little bit insane because that's backwards. And listen, even if you were to say, well, Hoskins, my, my kid loves soccer. I'd say, well, great. I'm glad he, he or she does. But, but my kid also, when, they were ch children, when my children were little, they loved not to go to bed and they loved to eat chocolate all the time. But my job as the father is to lead and guide them into wholeness. And so what ends up happening, you have church camp and you have RLC kids and you have youth ministries and you have places where they can forge spiritual relationships where they can learn the way to the gospel in a way that they can understand and so many end up so many of us end up going nope can't can't do that uh -uh, nope, sorry they can't go to that oops they can't go to that can't be a part of that all because we have something else that we think is more important now listen, I, don't hear me. I'm not anti-athletic. I love sports. I'm not anti-recreation. I love to get away and have fun. I'm going to take a few days this week to go, go see my family myself. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying you should never miss church. That's not what I'm saying at all. But, but I'm, I am saying you do have to be careful about what you're communicating to your children. We're teaching our kids this is what it's all about. This is what really matters in life. This is what you're shooting for in your life. And we're, we're, we're telling our kids church is important. We, well, we have to be careful that we don't say church is important, but then by actions say that church is important unless you have something that's more fun to do. I'm just saying be careful. Let them play. Spend four grand on shin guards if that's what you want to do. I, you know, do it. I'm, I'm, but I'm saying you better be careful that you're not with your life making yourself out to be a liar and removing the weight of the gospel. That's all I'm saying. Our role as fathers is to sort of sit above the whole thing and go, in the long run, how do I shape and mold godliness and depth of life into my child. That's the role. So may God help us to be the cultivators he called us to be. May we love our wives the way he loved the church the, in that he gave himself for her. May we, may we nourish and cherish the wives of our youth. May we protect our children from anger. And may we mold and shape them so that they can fall in love with Jesus. And may we take the initiative to be all that God has asked us to be. 
And in the end, maybe most importantly, may His grace cover over our shortcomings. Because we all have them. We all have them. Would you bow your head? I want to pray with you. Father, I just pray, Lord, that we would be encouraged to realize this calling. While it is weighty, Lord, it is beautiful. It is powerful. It is wonderful. And Lord, I pray that no man in this place would be discouraged or feel that they're, that, uh, that, they're, that, that, uh, that they're being scolded or anything like that today. I pray, Lord, that instead it would just be about us seeing your plan, your call. And then, Lord, even if we haven't taken it seriously today, God, I pray that today would be the day we'd say, this is going to change. I'm going to be the man God create, created me to be. I'm going to be I'm going to begin a journey to becoming the husband God created me to be. I'm going to start this journey to becoming the father God created me to be. And Lord, I just pray that you'd help us. I pray, Lord, that males would want to be men, godly men. I pray that single women would want a man more than they want a, a male. I pray that we would be imitators of you, that we would be initiators that you've called us to be. And I thank you, Lord, for your grace and for your love that covers our shortcomings because we fall short so many times. Lord, we need your help in all of this because we know we'll never, we'll never be what you've called us to be in our own strength, our own ingenuity, in our own creativity, our own, our, our own craftiness our own cleverness. But God, if it's going to be, it would be because we have thrown ourselves on your mercy and you have empowered us and your grace has, has filled us. So Lord, I pray you'd help us to be grace-filled husbands and dads. Help us, Lord God, to continue to grow. We know that we haven't arrived. We know that we'll never really arrive, not on this earth. But God, I pray you'd help us. I pray that today, God, that every father in this place would, uh, would feel blessed in the role that you've given to them, that they would relish that role today. Whether that role is as father or grandfather or maybe even as a spiritual father to someone else, God, that we would relish that role. We would look at the wonder of it and say, I can't believe I get to do this. Help us to embrace it that way, God. And we give you thanks and praise. In the strong, strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.